Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to another episode of Making Bank. Today's guest is Grant Nisley. Grant is a writer with the Bankless DAO Writers Guild and the founder of Captive.xyz. Captive helps communities grow with the power of writing-focused cohort-based courses. Grant joins us today to discuss the writer's cohort at Bankless DAO. Hi, Grant. Welcome to Making Bank. It's great to have you here today. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, we can talk about a lot of things here today. Um, you've been with Bankless DAO since Genesis back in May of 2021. You've been with the Writers Guild since then. Maybe we can touch on that. Yeah, sure. So I found out about Bankless through the podcast, which I imagine many people do. And I came to the DAO just to poke around and explore. I love the podcast and I was getting more into crypto during the bull run. So I wanted to check it out. And I was working on writing and I love to write. So I was looking at the Writers Guild and that's my first introduction to the DAO. I've mostly been focused in the Writers Guild and mostly been focused on this writer's cohort, which I'm sure we'll get into. Were you already in the Web3 space prior to that or were you writing in another capacity? Yeah. What's Grant's journey prior to DAO space? In 2017, I was curious. I bought a little Bitcoin and ETH and was just messing around with it during that bull run and was definitely interested because of the big rise in the bull run. And that always gets people excited. But after that cycle was over, I kind of stayed a little bit interested and watched it progress. And basically during 2018, 2019, 2020, I was just watching the space and I was interested that it didn't completely die. In 2017, there was a lot of talk about, be careful where you put your money. This thing can go to zero. It, it can always go to zero. Only put in what you can lose, all that stuff that people say. And it was pretty interesting during that time that it didn't go to zero. It did crash. 80-90%, but it was still alive. So it was pretty interesting. So once it started to rise again during the pandemic, I started to tune in again and got pretty interested and started to see the DAO space evolve. So the DAOs were a much more tangible way to get involved with crypto rather than just buying and following tokens. So the social dynamic was really interesting and Bankless DAO was first DAO that I got involved with. It was a cool intro during this cycle. Yeah, cool. Thanks for sharing that. I, I always like to hear how people's meandering path found their way here. Yeah. Appreciate that. It's funny, I, yeah, I have to look back at one of my first posts in the Bankless DAO Discord, and it had to do with writing. I made some comment about I'm a pretty good proofreader. And, and then somebody posted something about me being the grammar police. <laughs> like, oh, I stepped on somebody's toes, but but I was, I was like right at the very beginning and I was so tentative. But anyway, so like, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the topic here. First of all, I think maybe speaking for myself, I write a lot just for myself. I've journaled a bit in the past and try and unpack ideas in my own mind and try and outline and summarize things to help 
encode things in my own brain and to make sense of things. But I'm not good about sharing that work. I've always been really tentative about that. And so I think that might be a good thing we can talk about here. Why do people write and why should you write? And then the idea of getting your work out there for people to see. And maybe we can touch on a couple of those topics. Yeah, definitely. So I think writing is important for a number of ways. The first is about clarifying your thinking. So this is one of the main reasons that I think people should write and should try to flex this muscle more because clear writing is clear thinking. And this is one of the best reasons to write. If you are interested in learning about a topic or interested in diving down a rabbit hole and learning more about something, it's so much better to write about the topic rather than passively read or watch videos. It's a great test to know how much you know about a topic when you go and put pencil to paper and try to write about it. So this is one of the main reasons that I think writing is important to try to clarify your thoughts and try to basically see how much you do know. And it's a great way to learn in that way that you can figure out what you do know about a topic. And through the process, you can learn more by you know, understanding how much you don't know once you start to do the writing. I think that's an important part of writing. And that's the baseline where no matter how much time you put into the writing, you'll always learn something from it, from going through the process of clarifying your thoughts through writing. So that's the first part. The second part is the benefits that come from sharing your work. Sharing your writing is the next step. If you're just writing to journal, it's a great exercise, but putting your thoughts out there into the world is the next step. And I think the reason it's beneficial is basically because of the opportunities that it creates. So what you do when you post something online is you are putting a flag in the ground, telling other people that this topic that you just wrote about is something that you are interested in and you are exploring. So when I first started writing, I was writing all about higher education and changes to the education model with the internet disrupting it. And through this writing, I got connected with people in the ed tech space, people that were starting companies and people that were investing in ed tech companies. And it basically showed me that by putting your thoughts out there, being willing to be vulnerable and willing to be wrong and just exploring through sharing your ideas, you could meet new people and create opportunities with your writing. So those are some of the two big reasons why I think writing is important and why we try to encourage people to do it with the writing cohorts. Yeah, willing to be vulnerable and willing to accept criticism and be wrong. I tend to be a perfectionist and I think a lot of us do. And if you do that, you end up never outputting anything. And it's not going to be perfect when it's put out anyway because it hasn't gotten any feedback. And so leaning into that with the community focus and the way you've been working with that, specifically at Bankless DAO and having groups of writers move together along the path. Would you like to maybe touch on that a bit? You had written about strengthening relationships with stakeholders and then receiving feedback on your thinking. And I don't remember if that was from the business writing piece or if that was from um, education and in, in, uh, changing world order, because that one had really five different components. And one component of that was also community focus. But to your point about getting your work out there, and one of your points in that was creating over credentialing. 
right? So you can have all the credentials in the world, but if you don't create anything, it doesn't matter. Maybe we can touch on those points a little bit. Yes. What what Taptive focuses on is writing cohorts within communities. So just breaking that down, we focus on this model of online learning that is cohort-based learning. So just breaking that down, all it means is a cohort is a group of people that are achieving a certain learning goal in a specific amount of time. Really, the time focus is the key part of the cohort, where some other types of learning models can be asynchronous, where people can watch a YouTube video at any time or take a asynchronous online course at any time. A cohort model is, is different because it is time-based. So an entire group of people will go through a cohort say a four-week cohort, which is what we focus on, four-week cohorts. And we all, everyone in the cohort goes through this experience together. So we really focus on the cohort-based learning where we put a cap at the uh, a start date and a cap at the end. And having this really focused time period is what we found is the best way to learn online, where you are joining this group of people. And during that time, everyone has this increased energy, increased focus, and just a commitment to really pushing themselves and learning as much as they can during that time period. And then once the time period is over, you can kind of relax and take a break. If you think back to traditional education, it's similar to maybe how a college would do a semester where it's time focused. And the second part that comes with the cohort model is that it is bringing communities together. So different than a YouTube video or an asynchronous course, the cohort model is all about bringing people together and going through the journey as a group. So for example, for the Bankless Writers Cohort, we brought a group together from within the DAO and went through this cohort experience and everyone within the DAO was writing and participating in the cohort at the same time. That's really the focus with the community aspect where when you're going through the cohort. It's all about who you're with and experiencing it together. Now, the other point that you were bringing up, which I stress, is creating over credentials. So I spent a good amount of time before Taptive thinking about credentialing in higher education. And I was writing about this for a year or so, just trying to think through how the education system will change as traditional education kind of wanes in its influence. And one of the things that I came out of it is the power of creating over credentials. I write in the piece that the future of education looks like Y Combinator. And I say this because Y Combinator really focuses on what you're creating during the program, during Y Combinator. You go in there trying to build a successful business. You're not going in there trying to earn a degree that you can later show people. Everyone goes through YC trying to do whatever they can to build this company. And while you're creating, you're learning things along the way on how to build build a successful company. So when we're creating these cohorts, we're doing a similar idea is that we're all about action during the cohorts where we want people to be writing and publishing and acting and focusing on that over passively consuming content or listening in other ways. Yeah, it accelerates everything. And it's the, the, I don't know if it's serendipity or synchronicity, but I was just reading The 4-Hour Chef by Tim Ferriss. Mm. 
And uh, he speaks about Y Combinator in there and about the curve that I don't have the book in front of me and I don't have the curve in front of me, but that rapid learning and then the fall off before you start to integrate the knowledge and then start to use it in your life. And then you hit this inflection point. So anyway, it was just very interesting that the, the Y Combinator, that conversation in the book that I'm reading right now, and then the book's been out for a decade, so I'm a little late to the party on that one. But yeah, that is a common model, and it's pretty interesting that that surfaces here as well. I mean, that is how you learn. That's how you learn language. Uh, anyway, I digress a bit, but it is a thematic point. Yeah, yeah. I was heavily influenced by Nassim Taleb's work on this, on his books, Get in the Game, where he talks a lot about entrepreneurship and building and tinkering and learning through action. So I read a few of those books and was influenced on that about the power of learning through going through the process and making mistakes and failing quickly. So that was a lot of the influence on that. And that kind of bled into these cohorts where really at the very beginning of the cohort process, we're forcing forcing, helping them to publish as quickly as possible to really flex the muscle and learn from doing. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, there's just so much to dig into here. I really liked that piece on education, the changing world order, because you're also referring to two separate docs. One is Ray Dalio and the other one is the sovereign individual. And you had another piece that you wrote on the sovereign individual, which is by James Dale Davidson and William Reese Mogg, if I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah. <clears throat> and they come to a similar conclusion, but they come about it from a different angle. And I haven't read both of these yet. And so there's a lot to dig into here. And there's some visualizations there on the relative standing of great empires and the rise and fall. And then the, the onset of decentralized communities, internet communities. And then if you start digging into Balaji's work on the network state and his writing, and you had, you had referred to a tweet thread of his from 2020, January, 2020 on think or was it yeah it was before c19 ended up across the planet but man there's a lot to unpack there and the foresight and then the idea of where where this may be going if we end up doing more remote work and then in-person jobs become the ones that are highly paid because nobody wants to do it there were so many different components there and then tying that in with education and the future of a person's work their identity I mean, all of that. And there's so much to unpack there. And this, I think, is where being structured about your writing comes into play. And I think that actually, if I may, bring a point up which you refer to, and that is a, a bullet draft. And a bullet draft is part of this, helping to really, if you're thinking about all these different topics and you're trying to pull out a narrative and a structure, the bullet point draft. Maybe you want to talk about that a bit. Yeah, sure. So when we start one of these cohorts, the structure is pretty simple. We do a four-week cohort, and during the cohort, we ask people to publish a 1,000-word essay every week for four weeks. So it's a lot to ask, and it's demanding. So we try to give a framework on how to manage your time and do what's uh, basically manage your time to effectively publish four posts in four weeks. It's a lot of writing, a lot of thinking and editing. But one of the key points that we've 
found is really helpful for getting people to publish these four essays is what we call the publishing process. So the publishing process is this four-part process where we ask people to choose a topic that they want to write about for the week. Second part is writing a bullet draft. The third part is writing a substance draft. And fourth part is the clarity draft. So to your point, the second part of this process is the bullet draft. So once you choose a topic that you want to write about for the week, and we have some prompts and guidance for choosing a topic, we encourage you to write this bullet draft. And the basic idea of the bullet draft is that we want to get your ideas out of your head and onto a piece of paper as quickly as possible. Piece of paper or screen as quickly as possible. So the idea here is that you should think and brainstorm as quickly as possible full complete thoughts for 10 to 15 bullets, basically writing everything that you can think of related to that topic. So this process is really about, it should be exhausting and you should be drained after doing this process. And you should basically be writing as quickly as possible, trying to brainstorm and put everything you can onto the paper. So the idea behind this is that a lot of people, when they're writing, they get stuck because they think they have to create this perfect draft at the first time. Their first edition is what they're going to publish and what people are going to see. The point of the bullet draft is to ignore all of that and focus on the idea that you want to share with people. So you come up with this idea and you just start to put as many words on the paper as possible. And after this, you can later refine it. So that's been really helpful for people because they can just not worry so much about the grammar and style and structure and more about the idea that you want to write about for that post. Yeah, there's a number of writers that have gone back to either pen and paper or a typewriter because they don't want the ability to edit and get all these mm. suggestions while they're typing. That's just such a, it distracts you from getting those just those raw thoughts out. Uh, I've listened to a couple, it's uh, fun listening to writers too. Neil Gaiman is a real fun one to listen to and Stephen King as well on their writing process. And I was listening to one and this was Neil Gaiman. He was talking about when he writes and just one part of it was he decides that I have to, if I'm going to write, I either need to write or do nothing. And the point being that there are so many ways to distract oneself that it he can infinitely find ways to, to do other things and not write. And so he tells himself, I can sit, I can do nothing, I can look at the sky, I can look out the window, I can get myself a cup of tea, that's all I can do. If anything else enters my mind and I decide to do it, I cannot do that. I can only write. And it forces him into the discipline. And that <laughs> is, that's one of those common things. We hear that writing is lonely, it's difficult, it's painful. And I think this method that you're using, this approach you're using, helps break out of that in a major way. Definitely. I think an important part about that and going off what you said is just really having, setting aside the time to focus. And like I was saying, having it be a sprint where you really shouldn't be, have any other windows open or thinking about anything else, just trying to get your ideas down as quickly as possible. And then once you're done, stepping away from it and maybe just coming back in an hour or a day or two days. A lot of times when I'm writing one of these pieces in a week, I'll write this bullet draft on Friday. So have 10 to 15 bullets done by the end of Friday and then not come back to it until 
Sunday or Monday. And from there, I've thought more about it and I can add and basically build on the thoughts that I already had. Yeah, absolutely. The, the power of stepping away from your work, having a chance to let it bake in your brain, get feedback from others, and then come back to it with fresh eyes. I never did that in college. I was always <laughs> I was coming off the printer moment before yep. I had to leave for school. But <laughs> it was on the best intentions, but yeah. And I wanted to touch on another topic here, and that is, I think it's your most recent piece, and it's about GPT-3. Will GPT-3 replace writers? And I think the answer is no, but... Um, but maybe unpack that a bit. Would you like to touch on that? Or are we going a little too off, off center here to no. go into that area? Now, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I think AI is very interesting and it will absolutely impact writers and it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact everyone, honestly. And so I wrote this piece about AI and writing. And like I was saying before, the point of the point of the post was really for me to figure out to try to learn more about this topic. I'm helping people to write and I wanted to learn more about different AI writing tools and what their impact will be. So I basically used this post as an excuse to start playing with the tools and see what they could do and look at the potential of this area. And my summary at the end of the post, AI writing assistants are going to be similar to other technologies where they will be a tool that humans can use to help them to do more and do it faster and do it better. So there will definitely be some pain with the AI writing assistants and this podcast could come back to bite me when they take all of the jobs, but you never know. This could be different, but my view is that <laughs> my view is that we'll be able to leverage these tools to make us more efficient and be able to write more and write better. So I use this really simple example in the post where if you've ever used Grammarly, it's basically an AI writing assistant that scans your work and corrects for grammatical errors and sometimes will suggest how to restructure a sentence or make your sentence more clear. So this is AI technology, and it's already being used by billions of people to help them to write. But the point of the post is that I was still writing the post, and I was basically using this Grammarly AI technology to make it so I didn't have to reread it 10 times to catch all of my errors. I only had to reread it three times. So it just made me be able to write more and write it better and faster. But I then go into kind of Grammarly is the first stage of this and it's going to get more effective and better. And there are some really advanced tools where you can just write in a phrase and it'll write an entire few paragraphs explaining, summarizing a topic for you. Yeah, it's so, pretty crazy. That one that they showed, uh, it's a very concise piece. And I really, I encourage everybody to go take a look at that and then go check out OpenAI. It's just, you can get some free free usage there. It doesn't give you a lot, but people can mess around with it. But there was this one that you did a summarize for a second grader. A second grade student had done a book report on Jupiter. And then you did a sample response from GPT-3 on its summary. And I actually prefer the second grade student's version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the, that's 
pretty interesting stuff. And um, to your point earlier about education in the future and digging into those topics that you're interested in that are new and that are not widely explored or known yet. And this is where you can leverage up and build your skills and be out there in front. And from a business standpoint, if you're trying to build credibility, this is one way to do it. And it's a great way to do it. Definitely. Yeah. Going back to the other point you made about creating over credentials. So one of the beauties of creating on the internet is that you can create a portfolio that you can easily display to any employer or business partner or peer, and they can quickly just read your writing or look at your GitHub or look at your design portfolio and quickly get a view of what you're capable of. So this is kind of how I see a little bit of the future where a lot of portfolios will be used to quickly show how fit someone is for a job or fit they are for a role. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had also written a piece on talking about getting your work out there and getting visibility, building an audience, some of that. You'd also did a piece on how to choose a platform. And you pointed out in that piece that email is still king. And but the Twitter and LinkedIn are are really great for exposure, but you gotta capture people's emails. And that might seem like an anathema to people saying, What? You're capturing emails, what? But you made a point about that as to why you want to do it. And I'll leave that to the reader to or the listener to go read about it. But you had mentioned several platforms, um, the short list, Substack Medium, a few others, and then the Web3 oriented or the new emerging platforms like Mirror and Paragraph are mentioned as well. You even mentioned Notion. If you already have a Notion subscription and you know how to use Notion, it can publish basically a, a web page that's structured pretty cleanly. But in terms of keeping it updated, capturing emails, that kind of thing, you're going to have to do a little bit of work that may take you away from your writing. And so I thought that was a really good piece that summarized the platforms and the pros and cons. And I just wanted to mention that for anyone that maybe is looking at choosing a platform, that's a really good piece to take a look at. Yeah, I basically did that just because I got that question a lot about people struggling over choosing the publishing platform that they want to write on. And my biggest takeaway from that post is that you should really just, honestly, the decision isn't that big and it's not that important. The most important part is just to decide and get started writing. So usually when I tell people to, if they're looking to start writing, I would just say, just get on Substack and you can start writing and publishing in five minutes. And that's where I usually point people to. But in the Web3 world, there's some pretty cool options that are coming off like paragraph.xyz. I would recommend that as well. That's a little bit more crypto friendly. But I do think the, the discussion on email is pretty interesting because email is going against the web two behemoths where I'm always afraid of focusing too much on Twitter or LinkedIn or any of those platforms where you, you're not able to export your audience. Whereas email, you have emails and you can go to any email provider and continue to stay in contact with them. So I think that's a, that's an important point to consider. Yeah, for sure. But you make a good point. Just get started. You spend all, if we have a done in tool <laughs> users, we like to play with new toys and, and yeah. we're always evaluating new tools. And it's like, okay, well, are you here to play with the tool or are you here to use the tool for what you intend? And the one that gives you the least friction to get started is probably the best place to start. You know, you can migrate later, whatever, if you end up doing that, but just get started. 
And, and speaking of getting started, the Bankless Now Writers Guild is a great place to start. Whether you're ready to join a cohort or not, you just want to be in the writer's room, it's a great place. And I've not, I only know this through secondhand, I hear, and I've talked to a lot of writers. We've had a number of writers on the show. I work with a number of writers and podcast actor and AV all over the place. I'm sorry to say I have not been in the writer's room and listening in and participating in that. So maybe dig into a little bit. What's it like in the writer's room? I need to. I've just got my headphones on all the time now editing podcasts. But no, I, I do need to hop in there. I'd love to. It's a great group of folks with, with so much talent in so many different areas. And it's a very cooperative, from what I hear from everyone who's participated, it's a great, great place to be. And so do you have any suggestions there for folks maybe either new to the DAO or maybe have been around and scroll past Writers Guild and haven't popped in there yet. You have a regular weekly meeting. What's the best one for new joiners to jump in and kind of get a flavor? Yeah, so it is a great place to be. I would recommend it to anyone. There's a weekly meeting. It's Mondays at 1.30 Eastern is my time, but that's a great one to join. And it's a really welcoming group. Those meetings are easy and welcoming to everyone. So stop by there. And there's just a lot of opportunities in the Writers Guild. If you're interested in writing or publishing or honestly just getting involved with the DAO, everyone has a little bit of writing experience. So it's a great way to get started to get accustomed to what it's like to be in a DAO and get involved. So would definitely recommend the Writers Guild to anyone who is interested. And speaking of the cohorts, so... The cohorts are also a great way to get started writing with the Writers Guild. So we have a new one starting September 9th. So that might be a little late for this podcast coming up, but you can join while we're midway through a cohort if you want. So come by the Writers Guild and reach out to me and I can get you set up. This will be our second cohort for the Bangla Style Writers Cohort, and we're expecting a good turnout. So excited to get started on this one. That's great. Yeah, this is a pretty new program. I mean, the first uh, cohort started July 15th. Your organization, Taptive, has run my data, shows that you've done nine of these so far, these nine programs, nine or ten, and over 300 essays have been published. And it's a great way to, to get that content out there, especially for startup spaces and you need to get concise, useful content out there to audiences that are ready to hear it. It's desperately needed. And, and actually, if you listen to some of the folks that got started early at this, I mean, Koopa Troop is one of them. He'll be the first one to tell you. And I don't remember what podcast I was listening to. I don't know if it was on Bankless or what, but that is actually one of the ways he got his start. He started writing white papers and stuff and was being paid quite well for them. And, and especially you're on bleeding edge, the cutting edge, and you can do it fast. You can write well, be concise. That skill is in high demand and always will be. Yeah, definitely. All right, sir. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? I think we've covered actually quite a bit in a pretty short amount of time. We've got more time. If you, there's anything else you want to touch on or something that popped into your head that you want to talk about? No. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time and bringing me on. Yeah, super. I mean, when I was getting ready for this conversation, I was thinking we really need to talk about the writing process and getting your work out there and what it's like to be in the writer's room and all of that. Let me ask you a question before, before we really wrap this up. What do you think some of the biggest stumbling blocks are for new writers? 
They come into this space, maybe they're a little tentative to start out. What are what do you see are the biggest stumbling blocks that maybe are perceived and once a person gets in there, turn out to be not what was imagined? I don't know if you see where I'm going with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is just getting over the fear of publishing. So I have this little, this note that I send during the cohorts of getting over the fear of publishing. And a lot of this is about just recognizing that you're, you're never really going to create a perfect essay. You're never going to create the perfect post. And once you really recognize that and recognize that writing is a journey and this it's a process that you only get better through action and through repetition that's the biggest hurdle for me and a lot of people is just recognizing that through time and through consistency and through repetition you will get better at it and you're not going to you're not going to go out there and the first post that you publish is going to be this perfect masterpiece you really have to you really have to fall in love with the consistency and fall in love with the process of doing it. So once people get over that, they are able to publish one and then throughout the cohort, publish another and then another. And then once you've published a few, you've realized that it is possible to do and it doesn't have to be perfect and you get over this initial fear of publishing. So I think that's an important one. And then another one is just the framing of it. I think a lot of people have some imposter syndrome with their writing where they think that it has to be this revolutionary piece that has groundbreaking knowledge, insights. And while that can be the case, it doesn't always have to be. And some of the writing can just be for you and be for your learning and your growth. When you start to perceive it that way, it can also help to get going on the path. Outstanding. I don't think I could summarize that any better, so I won't even attempt to. <laughs> really appreciate it, Grant. As far as your contact info, it's real simple. On Discord, you're Grant. And just so that folks don't get the wrong one, uh, it's Grant number 2959. And then on Twitter, you are Grant underscore Nisley, and that's N-I-S-S-L-Y. And of course, your Substack. And we'll have a lot of stuff in the show notes, and as well as a link to taptive.xyz. And uh, yeah, this has been a really fun conversation for me. I really appreciate your time today. And I hope this inspires folks, including me, actually. I need to, I've been talking about it for quite some time and I haven't been doing it. So that's on me. And now that this is public, I can, that's the other thing, hold yourself publicly accountable, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Come join, come join the next cohort. You're welcome to sign up. Now the pressure's on. <laughs> yeah, pressure is on. All right, sir. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. This has been Making Bank, a production of Bankless DAO. If you'd like to learn more about Bankless DAO, please visit bankless.community on the web for more information and how to get started. And of course, if you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcast platform.